to Macintosh and Mod Haven't Seen What, the podcast where we make each other watch movies we should have already seen. I'm Diana. And I'm David. And today we are talking about Con Air. Newly paroled ex-con and former U.S. Ranger Cameron Poe finds himself trapped in a prisoner transport plane when the passengers seize control. Oh my, it's a 1997 classic. <laughs> it's 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 a classic. It's officially a new classic. I, I will give it that. Uh, and it's definitely a, a Nick Cage classic. Whew, this movie. Yep. There's a lot going on. There's a lot of things happening and a lot of people in this movie. So many. Uh, yeah, I can't believe you have not seen this. No. Oh my goodness, David. But first, uh, we, we, I couldn't just uh, shame you for not having seen this. I needed a guest to come on and also shame you a little bit for not having seen this. Uh, David, who is our guest today? Our guest is the wonderful Claudia Elvidge, creator of The Beacon and many fine podcasts. Claudia, welcome. Hi. Hi. Thank you so much for coming on to help me mock David mercil- <laughs> mercilessly. And thank you for having me on to talk about this wonderfully strange action movie yeah okay i have so many feelings about this film (laughs) let's start it let's start with what we always start with okay what is your experience with this film claudia (laughs) so i was actually more familiar with like the meme culture surrounding this movie before the movie itself because it has a an intrinsic connection to this web comic you may or may not have heard of called homestuck where it is constantly referenced by the characters to the point where they reenact an entire scene from the movie where one of the characters hands out rabbits to clone babies of his friends. And it's also a reference to this film. So I knew of that before I knew of the movie itself. And somehow the movie still stacks up pretty well on like a strangeness scale in comparison to that parody. I do know about that web comic, and i I have not I've not uh, read it, seen it, I, but I've I've heard about them reenacting scenes from this movie. <laughs> yeah, you can find a whole video with like a parody of the big Conair song, and it's ridiculous. But this movie is also ridiculous in its own right. So I. I feel like that's appropriate parody. Oh, yeah. Oh, sure. I feel like this scene, this movie is like making fun of so many things by trying to be its own thing. And I'm, I need a parody of only this movie. You know how they make, they make like scary movie or dance movie or a disaster movie. So like they're making fun of all the movies in the genre. Uh-huh. I need a movie that is only making fun of this film. But if you did that, the singularity would open up. I mean, I'm fine with that. Okay, they can only or you would make, just make the same movie. They can only make fun of this movie and also other Nick Cage films. Now you want to do a Nick Cage parody movie starring Nick Cage? No. Oh, well, he's the only person who can be in it. No, he can play the pilot who dies in the first five minutes or whatever. That's the only way he's allowed to be in the Nick Cage parody movie. No. Yes! The only movie star of all time who could star in his own parody film is Nicolas Cage. I don't believe that's true. <laughs> I think there are other people who could do that convincingly well. So are you ready to shame me for why I haven't seen this movie? Yes. 
because it was firmly rated R in the firm years of me not being allowed to watch rated R movies. That's still still so dumb. But damn it, it's 97. 97. It's been you know, 23 it's... years. This that's movie right. has always correct, been. Math, right? yes. Yeah, that's, that's math. That's math. That's how math works. This movie has always been on my radar to watch, and I've never gotten around to it. So it's, <laughs> it's one of like the top three you have to watch for Nick Cage. And to be fair, one of the other top three for Nick Cage I have not seen is Face Off, but yeah. <laughs> I have not seen that. But this one, it's, oh, yeah. I remember all the press about this one. This was like peak Nick Cage is hunky hunky. And they were his his workouts for this. Them talking about like three percent body fat and all the ha- the hair. And I just remember being like, he cannot pull off that hair. No, like this is not that does not work with his face or his hairline. No, they made a mistake here. Well, so that Claudia, there is a saying on this show, and I've said it many times. That Nick Cage will often come up as a possible starring person in random roles and movies that show up. And the thing I always say is, look, I will never say Nick Cage would not be good for a role. I will always say that he would at least be interesting. Yeah. If nothing else, I think you can always count on Nick Cage to be entertaining in whatever role it is. Like you could take a completely mediocre movie concept otherwise and put Nick Cage in the starring role and mm-hmm. it'd at least be entertaining if not good at least I mean we've proven that theory since his tax judgment like <laughs> true I mean he's taken on I mean since his his financial woes he has had to do films that are crap are pure. well beneath his stature as a movie star true because he just needed to pay bills but he to his credit approached them with a professional work ethic like hey i have to be in this movie i'm gonna do a good job he approaches it with the same wild-eyed aesthetic that he brings to every role he does Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and sometimes sometimes that elevates the movie sometimes it doesn't in this one it's what seals the fucking deal (laughs) except for the goddamn accent Uh, okay we'll talk about that more when we get to him that's a whole different thing i don't think this is I don't think he saves this movie. I think this is a, a movie where this cast is amazing. The sum is greater than its parts for this movie. Ca- Absolutely. I think the cast is definitely elevating what's happening. Oh my God. Right. We've got a great cast. So just a little bit on the money side. Budget was $75 million. Its cumulative worldwide gross was $225 million. So not a bad return on its investment. Did pretty good. This is the first film that Jerry Bruckheimer produced without Don Simpson, other super big uh, producing guy. He had recently passed away. And so that Jerry Bruckheimer Films logo was the first time we ever used it. Wow. Yep. Don Simpson of launching Tom Cruise to fame. Yeah. Like that guy was in all of those action packed films and Jerry Bruckheimer, like that was their whole thing. So this is the first thing that he did on his own and he's done Pretty much all of Nick Cage's films as well. Definitely during this time. So (laughs) it was kind of cool. So we're starting out with our our writer, where it all begins with the words. (laughs) Uh, Our writer is Scott Rosenberg. Before this, he did Things to Do in Denver When You're Dead and Beautiful Girls. After this film, he wrote Disturbing Behavior, High Fidelity, Gone in 60 Seconds, Imposter, 
Highway, Kangaroo Jack, October Road, the TV series, Life on Mars, the TV series, Zoo, the TV series, Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle, Venom, Jumanji, The Next Level, and he has an upcoming TV miniseries called Citadel. So he's got some pretty good hits in there. Except for High Fidelity, which is a garbage movie. Yeah. But I love Gone in 60 Seconds and both Jumanjis. The writing of this movie. How do we feel about it? I feel like it's trying to do a lot of things simultaneously. And that's also kind of reflected in the casting choices. But just for the writing itself, it feels like it could either be the Nick Cage angle of like this ex marine whatever trying to get home to his daughter or it could be like the criminal plane heist mastermind kind of movie or it could be like the agent angle trying to stop all this plane of bad minds and Mm -hmm. it's just stuffing them all together and not always totally successfully because it was kind of hard to follow like each individual plot for what it was trying to achieve i felt like i mean i'm looking at the poster right now and it is malkovich cage and cusack Mm -hmm. we have three main plot stories fair which with most action movies you've got two i don't have a problem with any of those things my problem is that then we have like 500 other stories packed in like garland green's character is awesome what is the point? And it's the same thing with a lot of these guys. I get the idea of you want to pack a bunch of bad guys in a plane and you got great actors to do that. Mm-hmm. But then you feel the need to highlight each of them and highlight each individual character. I think part of that, and I think this is where they got... Okay, so I think the dialogue is our biggest problem in this movie. Because I think... I actually really like the plot. I think the plot... I think the concept and the plot is actually pretty decent. They do uh, say a lot of words. They do. They, they say too many words. I actually think with with the Nick Cage character, he's a character where you should have accent aside. Once he gets to prison, having him talk less would be better. Yeah. Having him be one of those guys who he gets to prison and he just stops talking because he's like, I'm going to do my time and I'm going to get out and I'm just going to let this be a blip on my radar. I don't care. Like, I'm never going to do a bad thing again. That's fine. That's the type of guy this guy is. Fine. I feel like the things with Garland Green and Lucky 23, I feel like all of those things were to give us the busy work in the plane. Because we have a lot of time where we have to be in this plane. Mm -hmm. Which, okay, we got to get from here to there. Okay, fine. So how do we make this interesting? We have to investigate these characters. We have to know more about them. Okay. So we have to we we have to learn more about that. And I don't have so much a problem with that, but then why? Why don't we use them better? I mean, this is now that I think about it, it's a little bit of like the Odyssey of you've got to fight through all these different monsters to get home. Mm. And they're all really bad monsters. But I think you're right. Because they all talk too damn much, it loses believability. Mm-hmm. Like, Danny Trejo's character talks way too fucking much. He was way too much. You know, why Why do we have to have his character can be a dude who's a rapist? It's not an uncommon reason why gentlemen are in jail. 
But then why do we have to have a scene why he's going after? Like, if you want to have him say something like that to her, okay. But then to take it that much farther and try to have a scene where he's going to actually attack her? No. It's just a Bruckheimer thing of, I will hammer you over the head with how horrible this person is. Oh, we got it. With all- <laughs> I got it by all of his commemorative tattoos. A little bit. Ugh, gross. There's a lot of that going on, too, where it really is just like, we're going to bludgeon you over the head with how bad these dudes are. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of really insensitive things happening. Oh, God, yes. Like the scene with Garland Green having tea. <laughs> you're, you're just really waiting for that to get really bad. Yep. Thankfully, it didn't. But then we also have the character of Sally Don't Dance, which is also not great. And yeah. I and that actor is also also awesome. Love that character. It's a it's a prison trope. That character is amazing with some needle and thread. They found that that dress and they tailored it. They tailored the fuck out of that dress. <laughs> I will give them credit for that for sure. But again, that's a trope that's unnecessary and I don't like it. It's also that it's unnecessary to the plot. Means nothing in the plot. Yeah. Other than to cause a distraction, which you could have caused by about eight different ways. Yeah, the movie itself seems kind of intent on just stuffing as many harmful, like, prison criminal stereotypes in there mm-hmm. as possible. Like, it was just trying to stuff everything in there and not always in a totally self-aware kind of way that makes me unsure if it's like intentionally parodying because it really does have some weird stuff that makes you think it might be self-aware kind of making Mm -hmm. fun of the genre but then there's also just like so much of it you wonder if how much of this they're just playing straight but not aware of sure the only character who sounds like they are self-aware is the dave chappelle character (laughs) because <laughs> that's their that that's Dave Chappelle's brand of comedy. However, Dave Chappelle ad-libbed almost all of their lines. <laughs> so he wasn't actually written that way. Uh, that's Dave. That's Dave that, Chappelle. That's Dave Chappelle. Also doesn't excuse that it's still inappropriate. Oh, no. The insensitive no, no, no. things he said about first Americans. Yes, Dave's... It's not cool. <laughs> it's bad. It's really bad. And the blame goes all the way around for everybody. So I like the plot. <laughs> I like the plot. So we need to remake this movie. Let's make a plane of lady convicts. Nah. No. But like they're criminal masterminds. It's I mean, amazing. I get it. But also, for all of those problems, I still kind of love this movie the way it is. There are some performances that are quite enjoyable that it's really hard to be like, mm, yeah, this is fun. <laughs> So there, there are some things that are still fun. All problems acknowledged. There are some things that are still fun about this movie. <laughs> so the movie was inspired by a newspaper article about a plane that transport convicts. So they, this is something that actually happens. It's very unusual. Of course, they wouldn't put this many um, high-profile uh, convicts on one plane. But, you know, it's a movie. Suspension of disbelief. <laughs> Um, And writer Jonathan Heisley did an uncredited rewrite on the script. He wrote the original Jumanji. He also wrote The Saint and Armageddon and Die Hard with a Vengeance. Okay. Okay. So he's an action dude. He's an action dude. All right. Let's move on to our director. Uh, It's going to be Simon West. Before this, he had just done music videos. 
Okay. After this, he did The General's Daughter, Laura Croft, Tomb Raider, When a Stranger Calls, The Mechanic, The Expendables 2, Stolen, Wild Card, Stratton, Gunshy, Skyfire, and the upcoming movie, The Legend Hunters. That's not a good track record. Nope. So I feel like that's our bigger problem with this movie. Yes. Like, the writing isn't great, but this cast is the shit. Mm-hmm. These actors know how to polish a turd. Yes. They definitely do. Right. They all know. Like, these are fabulous actors. Not a ton of Oscar winners among them. Don't matter. They're fabulous actors. This director doesn't know what he's doing. And this is too big of a movie to not know. This is a movie where you need Michael Bay. You did need Michael Bay. You needed Michael Bay. And I don't think I would have ever said that in my entire <laughs> life. And I feel kind of dirty saying that. But this is a movie where I'm like, we need Michael Bay. We need Michael Bay to, to like throw some explosions and be like, no, be funnier. Ad-lib something. Make it more inappropriate. Make it less inappropriate. Like, the he's, different- he's okay at that. The difference between a guy like Michael Bay and and the guy who's directing this is the guy who's directing this knows how to make wild, bold camera choices. I mean, all credit to give to the guy. He swings for the fences. Mm -hmm. This movie is cartoonish in how it's trying to use the camera and cut quick and do all sorts of crazy shit. Yeah. And that's to its credit because it's a wild story. True. But it's not cohesive in any way. And that's the difference with a guy like Michael Bay, who came from that same genre, Mm -hmm. but had enough skill to know how to thread it together to make it feel like one full piece. Mm. Because whatever you want to say about Michael Bay, if you see a Michael Bay film, it feels like a Michael Bay film. And I think that's that's what's missing here, is that he's going all over the place, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't feel like it's one whole... there's, There's this one whole through line of style making it its own movie just need someone with more experience yeah that was that was kind of my feeling when re-watching it with like a little more critical eye this time because i have watched it before and you know i was you know kind of just along for the ride and i think like the last third or so of the movie is mm-hmm. probably its strongest point because that's when it's mostly just like characters actions explosions that mm-hmm. kind of stuff but the rest of it it just feels like a bunch of very disparate pieces and like at least three or four people that could have been their own kind of lead in this movie but Mm -hmm. the rest of it just feels like disparate pieces kind of moving in a parallel track next to each other yeah we just needed someone with a little more experience to to carry this off we needed a michael bay (laughs) i feel really dirty now like ew all right, let's get into our cast. We start with the dude we've talked about a bajillion times now. It's Nicolas Cage as Cameron Poe. We've actually talked about him before on this show. We talked about him during our first ever episode. Yeah. Raising Arizona. And then we also talked about him again during a Moonstruck. And like I said, he comes up quite frequently as a who could have been better candidate. Oh, yeah. So um, I'm just going to give the highlights of his credits because they are quite extensive. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, before this, Valley Girl, Rumblefish, Peggy Sue Got Married, It Could Happen to You, The Rock. After this is 
Face Off, City of Angels, Gone in 60 Seconds, Adaptation, The National Treasures, The Sorcerer's Apprentice, Kick-Ass, Left Behind, Snowden, Mandy, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, Color Out of Space, and soon, as the world has known, it has been announced, he has been signed on to play Joe Exotic in a TV series based on the Tiger King Netflix series. Mm-hmm. <sighs> I mean, that's, if it's not Dax Shepard, it's good casting. Yeah, that seems like horrible, but also appropriate. He'll nail it. He'll do a great job. I mean, especially after practicing with this oh, yeah. accent. Which, which <laughs> traveled to Alabama to, quote, perfect his accent. Uh-huh. Okay, here's what I wonder. Is it that his accent is that bad, or is it the uncanny valleyness of it? That we know who Nicolas Cage is so much that hearing him say that accent, even if it is pretty, like, on the point as a as a dialect, mm-hmm. just will not play in our brains. I think there's nothing natural about what's coming out of his mouth. <laughs> as I think if they just said, do Southern, keep it consistent, it would have been fine. I think the specificity of saying Alabama is causing him to do something that makes it not ring properly and and just come off so bizarre. And you know, it speaks back to the writing too. Too many damn words to have to say in that accent is going to make the flaws come out. It may also just seem extra out of place for the movie itself. He's like around fast talking DEA agents and like these almost Shakespearean villains who keep monologuing all around him, talking about their great exploits and stuff. And he's Mm -hmm. just around like, put the bunny back in the box. I said, put the bunny back in the box. Which makes it seem extra (laughs) uncanny, uncanny around everyone. It does. And it's just, yeah, it's just one step too far. It's too much. Other than that, I really liked him. I mean, he's oh, yeah. entertaining. I don't think he needed to get quite as fit as he did for the movie. Once the, the prisoners take over the plane, mm-hmm. he really clicks into gear. Sure. Because up at the top of the movie, when he's not like able to engage with that and that tension, something just feels off, and then we're thrown off by the whole Alabama thing. But once the plot starts going, he gets very engaging to watch. Because you can feel that tension of him trying to be like, I'm one of you, but also I'm trying to save myself. (laughs) During setups, Nicolas Cage lifted weights off camera to maintain the physique he had already attained for the film. Entertainment Tonight filmed a report on the film during filming and caught Cage working out between takes. (laughs) I remember a lot of talk about this. Uh, this was released in June 1997, which was the same month as Nicolas Cage's film Face Off, which came out a few weeks later. The films were actually shot consecutively, and they actually overlapped production at the same time. How? Yep. Uh-huh. So literally the two most buck-wild movies in the history of action cinema were made at the same damn time. And let's not forget his other film in his holy trinity, The Rock, was 96. Michael Bay, John Woo, Con Air. Yep. God damn. (laughs) A bit ridiculous. Kid Rock based American Badass on Cameron Poe. (laughs) Boo. Yeah, it was a boo. It was very boo. 
Okay, I have a lot of who could have been betters oh, for man. this. All right, a here we go. A lot. Okay. Stephen Baldwin. Hold the phone. What? William Baldwin. <laughs> Another Baldwin. <laughs> the lesser Baldwins. The lesser Baldwin. The lessers. The lessers, for sure. Tom Cruise. Sure. Johnny Depp. Also sure. Dolph Lundgren. Okay, no. If Dolph Lundgren's playing anybody, he's either playing Cyrus or the serial killer guy, Billy. Brad Pitt. Maybe. Keanu Reeves. Sure. Keanu could do anything. Kurt Russell. Too old at this point. Too old. Arnold Schwarzenegger. No. Same. Steven Seagal. <laughs> Die in a fire. <laughs> Sylvester Stallone. Also I mean... dead fire. <laughs> I, we love Stallone on this podcast. I love Stallone. I love Stallone. Too old. Too old. John Claude Van Damme. Okay. Maybe. No, because he he can't get past his accent. It it comes yeah it comes back to the probability in the movie sure as Cameron Poe probably not and Bruce Willis. Oh, Bruce. Here's the sad thing about Bruce. Bruce is too old, but like two years too old. Like if you caught him just a tiny bit earlier. I could see it. No, I get it. Oh, man. It's Keanu or Brad, honestly. No, I don't want Keanu in this movie. Brad Pitt. I want Brad Pitt in this role. I want to see what Brad Pitt does Brad has Conner. never done something like this. He really hasn't. He would He would do awesome at this. I mean, and- we've seen what he did in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And you were on a horsey. Yeah. the one part of that movie Sorry. that was super enjoyable that whole that whole that whole section of that movie is like oh this was worth the two hours <laughs> <laughs> what about you claudia any of these sound good to replace nicholas cage well nicholas cage will always be golden on his own but i think out of those choices i'd probably lean towards bruce willis most i think he gets closest to that sort of like everyman vibe but also sure buff everyman vibe that they were kind of going for here i'm not sure i would have like bought it quite so much if they were going for like handsome buff everyman sort of thing just more like mm-hmm. slightly left of like hollywood handsome i think that works a little sure, better. oh sure you know bruce willis is still pretty hot <laughs> he is he's an attractive man he's You're just not he's just not kendall attractive but that's okay all right next we have john malkovich as Cyrus the Virus, which we've never talked about him on the show. No, we haven't. So that's horrible. <laughs> like, I'm kind of sad for him because that's a lot. Before this movie, he was in Places in the Heart, The Killing Fields, Death of a Salesman on TV, The Glass Menagerie, Empire of the Sun, Dangerous Liaisons of Mice and Men, the 1992 version, Alive, In the Line of Fire, Mary Riley, Mulholland Falls, The Portrait of a Lady. After this, The Man in the Iron Mask, Rounders, Being John Malkovich, The Messenger, The Story of Joan of Arc, RKO 281 on television, Shadow of the Vampire, Knockaround Guys, Ripley's Game, Johnny English, The Libertine, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, Color Me Kubrick, Art School Confidential, Klimt, Aragon, Beowulf, The Great Buck Howard, Changeling, Burn After Reading, Jonah Hex, Red, Secretariat, Transformers, Dark of the Moon, Warm Bodies, Red 2, Cesar Chavez, Zoolander 2, Deepwater Horizon, Bird Box, Extremely Wicked, Shockingly Evil, and Vile, Velvet Buzzsaw, Valley of the Gods, The New Pope, and Space Force. This is the movie that proved John Malkovich could be bankable. 
really? If you look at the movies before this, he is a side character actor. And I mean, he was also doing tons and tons of theater through the 80s. But like, he isn't a known quantity as like a character actor for big budget movies until this. Because then you look at Rounders, Man in the Iron Mask, The Messenger. That's when he becomes a big deal. He becomes the number two guy. And he will always be a number two guy because he's a character actor. Yeah, I could see him. I could see this being kind of a turn for him of him being more of a... Because he has to be somewhat charismatic in the, his role here. He can't just be an asshole or a weirdo. He kind of has to be like, no, I'm crazy, but I'm also a genius and I get shit done. So, you know, I'm cool. He's just got that John Malkovich magic style. They basically put him in there and was like, we know you can do this, so just do it. And they let him run wild. Mm -hmm. So he's taken what could be very subpar words and turned them into magic turns of phrases. Mm -hmm. Like Cyrus is a great character. And one of the only reasons is that he's the one doing it. Really was like maybe my favorite part of the movie. <laughs> I just, I just like him. <laughs> I like him very, very much. Apparently, John Malkovich was very unhappy during production because the script was being rewritten virtually every day, and he had no idea how his character was going to turn out. <laughs> so the whole thing about the script not being great? Yeah. Uh, yeah. John Malkovich is such, like, a super highly trained actor. Why would you not give this man at least some words that he knew he was going to work with? Because that man can polish a turd. Ugh. He can. It's true. What do you think of Cyrus the Virus, Claudia? I thought, you know, it was a really great performance, but I'm not sure it was, like, the right performance for this movie. Like, it's this movie where all the villains are, it seems like they're supposed to be super despicable, threatening, but the rest of the, like, good guys seem kind of wishy-washy lacking in personality almost in comparison to the point where you'd be more rooting for this super charismatic serial killer if he wasn't like made out to be so horrible and willing to work with other horrible people yeah i there there is a tone with this character that while i like what john malkovich is doing it doesn't make sense to me as planned out and and methodical as his character is, he should have had a backup plan to being double-crossed. That is the part where I was like, I'm surprised he's not prepared for this. That's fair. That's the one where I'm like, it makes sense. Like, okay, this could happen and this could happen. Like, all the things going wrong, sure. I'm sure he expected all of this. But not having a plan to be double-crossed was the one that I was like, that one doesn't make sense to me. You can drive an 18-wheeler through the holes in the plot in this movie. <laughs> Some of it's pretty good. I know. Uh, again, just... like 97. 97 security. <laughs> like, the world has changed a lot in the last, like, five minutes. If this movie came out now, we'd be like, this story is terrible. They just they just wouldn't do this. No. They'd just be like, nope, nope, not gonna happen. We have a lot of who could have been betters for this character as well. Oh, boy. Gary Oldman was the first choice. Well, we're done. I'm I'm good. Give me Gary Oldman, please. Oh no no. Kevin Bacon. 
Alec Baldwin, George Clooney, Robert De Niro, Michael Douglas, Richard Dreyfus, James Gandolfini, Ed Harris, Rudger Howard, William Hurt, Michael Keaton, Michael Madsen, Jack Nicholson, Sean Penn, Ron Perlman, Tim Robbins, Tom Sizemore, John Travolta, Peter Weller, and Bruce Willis were also considered. And yet, William Defoe and Mickey Rourke auditioned for the part of Cyrus during Rourke's audition. He improvised by producing a razor-sharp bowie knife, both impressing and terrifying the director. That list is insane. <sighs> insane. That Willem is every great character, actor, and then some. Willem Dafoe. Not for this movie, though. See, honestly, somebody like a William Hurt makes a shit ton of sense in a movie like this. Let him go a little crazy. No. I don't think William Hurt could do... William Hurt could not deal with what was happening with the script. I don't see that working out Oh, yeah, no. Willem Dafoe could. He could. Also, Tim Robbins... That could have been fun. Tim Robbins as a prisoner? Yes. Tim Robbins as that prisoner? No. Honestly, if Tim Robbins isn't going to replace anybody, he would replace the John Cusack character. Oh, yeah. That's where you put that Tim Robbins. Better. I don't know. You say all these names, and I'm like, I get, I get why we would gravitate to Willem Dafoe, but I don't think so. I think Malkovich, Malkovich feels more grounded, which Cyrus is more grounded. Like, Cyrus is not wild. He is crazy, but he's not wild. He's calculating. Fair. And it feels like Malkovich is a little more scheming as an actor. Fair. I mean, I love John Malkovich. I'm keeping John Malkovich. But if I had to <laughs> choose, I'm picking Willem Dafoe from this list. Eh, this right. list is insane. Okay. Yeah, I so think Malkovich planning? works for the role as is, but putting in Dafoe, <coughs> letting him make the character like a little, a little more wild, a little more feral, might have set him up as a better antagonist to Poe, I guess. Because Poe mm -hmm. is just like this pretty reserved guy and then putting him up against this like totally unknown out there quantity might have made for like a more interesting matchup between them. Because mm. right now it, it seems a little more like one quiet guy against one guy who keeps announcing his plans to everyone. All right, next we have John. Cusack as Vince Larkin. We've also talked about him before on our episode about Say Anything and High Fidelity, so I'm not going to go through all of his credits, but before this, he was in 16 Candles, Better Off Dead, Stand By Me, Gross Point Blank, After This, Anastasia, Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil, The Thin Red Line, Pushing Tin, Being John Malkovich, American Sweethearts, which is one of my favorite movies, which is very underrated. Runaway Jury, Must Love Dogs, Ice Harvest, Hot Tub Time Machine, Paperboy, Drive Hard, Love and Mercy, Chirac, and a TV series called Utopia. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love John Cusack. Another scene stealer in a surprising <sighs> way. I think he's phoning it in. What? Okay. I don't think he's phoning it in okay. at all. Okay. I love John Cusack. I know. John Cusack sucks in this movie. <laughs> I think he sucks in this movie. I don't think it's his fault. I really, I don't think it's his fault, but I think he sucks in this movie. Well, I think he has an impossible task. His character is supposed to be in charge of transporting every worst horrible criminal of all time on a single plane. Mm -hmm. So what was that all about? Oh, nothing. 
Except they somehow managed to get every creep and freak in the universe onto this one plane. And then somehow managed to let them take it over. And then somehow managed to stick us right smack in the middle. Which is just something that is beyond credulity. Mm -hmm. So like already he's hamstrung by that script. What I really like is that he is an action guy. But at no point does he feel like he's going to go actually fight the bad guys and beat them. Like he... He consistently runs into danger because he feels like that's his job, but at every point he feels vulnerable, and it's the John Cusackness of his performance that's giving that to me. Like, I really like it. Claudia, I guess you're going to have to break this tie. Yeah, it it does seem like a bit of a miscast to me. I'm just used to seeing him in, like, more soft boy roles, I guess, and seeing <laughs> him sort of shunted into this, like, action star role and being like the odd couple with Nicolas Cage without them also like getting the chance to develop their relationship. It just never really gelled for me. Like I like John Cusack, his performances as an actor, but just doesn't really gel. John Cusack allegedly dislikes this film so much that he refuses to be interviewed about it. (laughs) That sounds like John Cusack. And he's a nice dude. He's a good dude as well. He is a fascinating human being. The whole Cusack family. There's a pretty good family. We do have some who could have been betters. More! We do! This is a big film with a giant cast. There are some who could have been betters. Robert Downey Jr., Charlie Sheen, and Matthew Broderick. I'm gonna I'm gonna be controversial here, because he is a garbage person. Charlie, Charlie Sheen, Sheen would have done a great job. Charlie Sheen can play this asshole any day of the week. He would have had the assholeness. But the great thing is Charlie Sheen's a good enough actor that he could have turned and added some of that softness that we see in the character later. Oh, sure. Like Charlie could eventually take that backseat to Cameron Poe when he needed to, but he would be tough enough to be convincing as a guy who could actually take the, down the bad guys. Yeah, I'm, I'm pro Charlie Sheen for that role. Do you like anybody on that list, Claudia? Robert Downey Jr., Charlie Sheen, or Matthew Broderick? <sighs> Man, I, I think like at least with Matthew Roderick, they could have pushed it in like the pencil pusher put into like an unbelievable, unsustainable situation, like a little more believable to me. Like, I think Matthew Broderick does like very put upon pencil pusher type guys very well. That probably would have played a little better for me rather than this like more romantic lead type being pushed into a pencil pusher type being pushed into an action star type that they have going on here. Totally fair. Yeah. No, I see that. John Cusack is literally the exact wrong type. Just the narrowest wrong type to play that role. He's just, just, a, just a, <laughs> He's just the sliver between those things. It's just like, just no. You're just yeah. too neurotic, man. Just I don't know. too I neurotic. Liked it. I liked it. But whatever. No, thank you. No, thank you. <laughs> All right. Next, we have Cole Meany as Duncan Malloy, John Cusack's boss, basically, who's just making his life difficult by being a dick. You know this guy. He's in everything. Before this, he was in a lot of TV, like Moonlighting and Remington Steel, One Life to Live. He was in Dick Tracy, Die Hard 2, The Commitments, Far and Away, Last of the Mohicans, Under Siege. But you mostly know him from Star Trek Next Generation and Star Trek Deep Space Nine. That's what he did for a really long ass time. Yep. That's where you know this guy. 
And he's Irish, and he's usually using his accent. And does a ton of Irish movies. Yeah, he does a ton of accents where he actually gets to use his accent after Deep Space Nine. Well, kind of. Okay. Deep Space Nine went on for a long time. Yes. But anyways, after this movie, he did Four Days, Mystery Alaska, Chapter Zero, Layer Cake, a bunch of TV spots, Zone of Separation on television, The Damned United, which we've also covered. Yes. Get Him to the Greek, Hell on Wheels on television, Will, Tolkien, Gangs of London on television, and upcoming, he's got Singapore Grip on TV, Pixie and the Happy Worker. Oh, boy. Cole Meany is the right type on paper for this role, but there's something about having him play this kind of a cop that I just went, there are a bajillion other actors who could play this. We mentioned James Gandolfini. Put James Gandolfini in this role. Gandolfini could have been great. But like any hard-bitten New York actor guy Mm -hmm. could play this role in their sleep. In a way that would be slightly better than Cole Meany giving his all with this role. Because I I will say this. I don't think he's not trying. But it's just he does not read as that character at all. Well, we we have the problem again with the writing. It's not great. Oh, that too. He says way too much shit. He says way too many things. He He, is our exposition character. uh, He's the exposition for the FBI guys. And he should have been like Cameron and that like he should have come in, said very little, only talked in F words. Yeah. Like get it the fuck done and only done that. And we should have had more of a reason from him of why he was so adamant of giving their undercover guy a gun. Like why do you, why are you so against like following these rules? Do you have a promotion on the line? Is that like what is your thing anybody who's watching this movie knows where this is gonna lead so you have to have something from this character other than you're an asshole to like show me what what is your motivation to flaunt these rules in this highly contentious situation so to me it's the opposite because Mm -hmm. it's like he's he's got an undercover dea agent on a plane full of the worst criminals of all time so to me we shouldn't have talked it up so much we should have just seen him slip the guy a gun. So that way, if we catch it, we're like, oh, that's not going to be good. And if we just get surprised that he pulls it out, we're all of a sudden like, whoa, what the fuck? I, I would have preferred the other way because otherwise I feel like we're just adding more exposition to a character that has way too much exposition already. Well, if we got rid of the other exposition and explained his motivation and only gave him exposition here, a purposeful exposition. But also, why the fuck do we... Why the fuck did we put a DEA agent on the plane anyway? Like, that's another great question. Oh, yeah. Do we really ever explain that? I mean, I think so. But also, he's chomping cigars and shouting in a bad New York accent the whole time. (laughs) So how the fuck are we supposed to know? We do because he's wearing a recording device. They're trying to get information out of one of the prisoners. So he's wearing the recording device, which Cameron gets a hold of. That's part of how Cameron leaves his breadcrumbs. Yeah. That's fair. So there is that whole thing. So there is a reason for the plant. But again, it gets back to like more people like the officer should have known that there was a plant. There should there should have been more like that's part of where. Well, I do like the plot and I don't think there's two like, yes, there are holes in it. But I feel like this is where having all of that stuff about the different serial killers and the busy work this is where you could have seen more of the inner workings of the different cops like 
rearrange. Like, this is where you could have had more theater. They are working so hard to tell so many different kinds of stories, they didn't think about actually telling those stories fully and what that would mean. And that's what happened. I'm trying to fix the movie and it's not working. Because it's not fixable. That's not true. We knew it. <laughs> it we, is we fixed, what We it fixed is. the other movies. We fixed so many movies, but this one is what it is. We're trying so hard. What are your feelings about Cole Meany? Yeah, I I feel like it was just another... I mean, I thought he was playing the character about as well as it was written, which was mm-hmm. not terribly... Not not great at all. I feel like it was another example of like the bad writing in this movie, which is just like it didn't trust its audiences to figure out like who they're supposed to like and who the good guys are supposed to be. So they had to put like these really extreme guys on both like the criminal side and the law enforcement side, just so you could find like the middle ground Nick Cage, John Cusack characters more likable in comparison fair yeah yeah (laughs) totally so in that respect i guess he was doing his job well he definitely made john cusack seem more likable in comparison (laughs) (laughs) that's true i mean that that's a treat (laughs) cole meany's keychain has a star trek communicator ornament on it (laughs) that's adorable uh, next, we have McKelty Williamson playing Baby O. Before this, he's on tons of TV. He was in Free Willy. He was most notably in Forrest Gump as Bubba. Uh huh. And then Free Willy 2, The Adventure Home, How to Make an American Quilt, Heat, Waiting to Exhale, Truth or Consequences, New Mexico. After this, he was in 12 Angry Men, the 1997 version. Double Tap, Primary Colors, Species 2, Three Kings, Ali, The Assassination of Richard Nixon, Get Rich or Die Tryin', Lucky Number 11, ATL, August Rush, Black Dynamite, The Final Destination, Fences, and then he's got tons of TV and movies coming out later. He's a perennial TV guest star. So he's working a lot, but I remember when I saw him, I was just like, is that Bubba? Is that Bubba? <laughs> and yes, yes it is. How do we feel about McKelty Williamson as Baby O? I actually really like his character. Yeah. I think he's like a really good foil for Cameron. He is very much a plot point, but in a way where his character also feels like an actual human. Mm-hmm. You you very much get the feeling it's like Cameron probably didn't deserve to go to jail, but now he's here. Yeah. And Baby O is the cellmate who got him through. Yeah. Like they stuck by each other and protected each other and now Baby O's going to get to go home. I mean, he has a touchstone to a degree, but I mean, he's also a trope. Yeah. He's a trope. Yeah. In, in that regard, which is also not great. Actor, awesome. He's doing a great job. And I think that's really what it is. The love, character love. itself, whatever, but what he's bringing to the table is really cool. Oh, he's doing a great job. Yeah. Yeah. I would have liked more partnership between the two. Yeah. In the movie. Yeah, more partnership between him and Poe would have been, probably would have had a better dynamic and made Poe feel like more of a fleshed out character because as it is, the John Cusack character is supposed to be his foil more like, but like they interact in person for like two seconds and then ride motorcycles together, which doesn't have a lot of meaning for their characters, but... (laughs) It does at the end. (laughs) 
But it's weird because like a lot of Poe's plot in like the middle third of the movie is like not trying to be an action hero, not actively trying to stop these people hijacking a plane. It's just trying to get insulin for his friend. Like that's why he leaves the plane and goes through that whole crazy action sequence. He's just like trying to get insulin and a needle so his friend doesn't die. They could have done better with his character, but he did a good job. Yeah. All right, next we have Ving Rhames as Diamond Dog. You know who Ving Rhames is. Before uh-huh. this, he was in Casualties of War, The Long Walk Home. Ugh, an amazing movie. I love that movie. Jacob's Ladder, Flight of the Intruder, Homicide, The People Under the Stairs, Stop or My Mom Will Shoot, Dave, The Saint of Fort Washington, Pulp Fiction, Mission Impossible, Striptease, and Rosewood. After this, he was in Out of Sight, Entrapment, Bringing Out the Dead, Mission Impossible 2, Final Fantasy, The Spirit Within, Lilo and Stitch, Dark Blue, Dawn of the Dead, the 2004, Mission Impossible 3, Out of Wild, I Now Pronounce You Chuck and Larry, Surrogates, Piranha 3D, Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol, Piranha 3 Double D, Won't Back Down, Mission Impossible Rogue Nation, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, Mission Impossible Fallout, and has been announced to be in Mission Impossible 7 and 8. Because they can't stop making those movies. Tom Cruise has got to jump off a of shit, okay? This is how he funds that. By the time we get to 8, and they've I know they've already been talking about it, he's going to space. It's gonna happen. I'm cool with that. Because cool he's with- already been, like, doing tests and exercising and getting ready for that. So it's like, we know in at least one of these, he's going to space okay. and he's doing well, David, some kind of David, now that there's going to be shit. eight movies, we have an excuse to officially do our Mission Impossible series. <laughs> We've talked about it. Now we actually have to do it. Diana, he'll finally get to go see Xenu. I will. I'll ascend. <laughs> yeah, this is how NASA is going to get their space missions funded. They're just going to put Tom Cruise on one of the flights and just send them all up there. Put a camera up there. It'll It'll be fine. And then massive backing from the Church of Scientology. Is it's e- all perfect. Is Elon Musk a, a Scientologist? Not yet, I, but I, he could be. It would not shock me if he was <laughs> at all. He's too much of an asshole to be a Scientologist. But I'm it would sorry. explain so much. No, he's he's too he's too self-absorbed to I'm be gonna able to pull that I'm going to think about that, that a lot. I'm going to think about that a lot. <laughs> Please never let Elon Musk meet David Miscavige. Ugh. That dude doesn't exist anymore. Anyways, Ving Rhames. I mean, he's nuts. Yeah, I love him. Swing low, sweet chariot. Come in for to carry me home. Oh, no. What the hell you think you're doing? It's time to off the pigs. Can't do that. Tell me why. They're hostages. We need them. But why the fuck you can't? He's a great number two guy to a guy like Cyrus the Virus. It's really interesting to see Ving Rhames go like this intense, especially when he's known for being kind of the laid back guy. Mm-hmm. Like if I think of Ving Rhames, I think of Marcellus Wallace. I think of a guy who's completely cool, knows his shit, and only gets rattled by the most outlandish thing. Mm-hmm. And even then, will still pull up his tie and walk out the damn door. So to see him go full bore the other direction is kind of interesting yeah he's going balls to the wall energy with this role (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah part of the issue is just like another issue of fighting of like making promises and not then not doing remotely anything to pay them off because he has this whole interaction with poe saying like 
he's in this so he can jump on Cyrus and take over the whole operation at some point, which is never like brought up or addressed again in any way. I think it would have been interesting to see some of his character versus Cyrus's in some point, in some capacity, but that's just like never a plot point. As soon as Chindino double crosses them, that's when he makes his move. That's when he should make his move and Cyrus kills him. And then we're on to the next part of the plot. Easy peasy. Mm-hmm. Like it can all be cruxed right then. And I think also then that's where the cracks in Cyrus's leadership start to form too. Like some of the other prisoners start to go like, hey, this guy isn't going to save us. <laughs> yeah, Because they are loyal to Cyrus to the bitter end. And it's like, why? Yeah, that doesn't make sense. Like the Swamp Thing pilot character at some point should just be like, man, I'm just in it for the paycheck. You get me wherever the fuck you want to get me. Yeah. Yeah, that's a big pothole for me, is just Cyrus not having a, a backup plan. Hey, Claudia, hmm? you helped us. We fixed the movie. We fixed the movie. It's perfect now. We fixed now. the movie, everybody. You're welcome. Get a writer. That's, 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 that's the secret. <laughs> that, that's true. That's we need a secret. writer. Get a writer. <laughs> All right, now we're going to move on to our pawns. Random people of note. These are people who are in the movie that you recognize. But they're just not in the movie enough for us to warrant talking about a lot. And there's so many of them. There there are a lot. Uh, so we've got Dave Chappelle as Pinball. Yeah. Danny Trejo as Johnny 23. Well, okay, we say young is relative. I'm just looking at him and go, he has fewer tattoos. Steve Buscemi as Garland Green. MC Ganey as the Swamp Thing. Monica Potter as Trisha Poe. Marty McSorley as the co-pilot. He's actually an NHL enforcer and goon, and he was actually playing when he was in the movie. Yeah, he beat the shit out of people for a living. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah well, that makes sense. Angela Featherstone as Ginny. Like, she's not someone a lot of people know. She played Chloe on Friend. She is the girl that Ross could not flirt with when they ordered pizza. And then she played Linda in The Wedding Singer. Ugh. <laughs> One of my favorite scenes. Take off that shirt before the band free jinx it and the band breaks up. Fabulous. Fabulous. Emilio Rivera as Carlos. He played Marcus Alvarez on Sons of Anarchy and Mayans MC. Renoli Santiago as Sally Can't Dance. You've seen him in Hackers and Dangerous Minds. Love that actor. Don S. Davis as Man in Car. We've actually talked about him. He was in Cliffhanger and also in Twin Peaks. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also have Bill Cusack as a paramedic. That's John Cusack's brother. He's apparently in like almost all of John Cusack's movies. If you ever see someone who looks like, is that Joan? But it's not Joan. That's their sister, Susan. <laughs> and then, is that John? But it's not John. It's Bill. That's almost always what's happening. So much fun. Mm-hmm. Marco Kyrus, which is the Sandino's pilot. This is Nicolas Cage's longtime stand-in. He was a stand-in from 94 to 2005. In, like, his peak career. Yeah. Powers Booth plays the officer at the leaving ceremony. He did the voice. Um, We've talked about him. He was in Red Dawn, and mm-hmm. he's in everything. Big deal, dude. And Scott Rosenberg, our writer, played the craps dealer that Garland is is standing at. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a cute little cameo. That's fun. Yeah. Those are our fun. So now we get to trivia. 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 The film is dedicated to Phil Schwartz, an effects specialist who died during the filming when a rigged plane fell and crushed him. No. Yeah. 
They oh had, no! They had a boo boo. Oh boy! Yeah. So they dedicate the film to him. So that's nice. I mean, I will say I have seen it a million times, but the plane landing on the strip is still pretty fucking spectacular. That's pretty cool. The Las Vegas scenes were filmed at the legendary Sands Hotel immediately prior to its demolition in the late 1996. When the production team heard about the city's intentions to raise the historic landmark, they immediately scheduled multiple camera setups to take advantage of the rare event. Absolutely. And that's what's actually seen in the movie. (laughs) The sight of planes flying in low formation over the strip during filming caused a number of Las Vegans to call the police. (laughs) I think that's fair. Yeah. According to Danny Trejo, there was a lot of tough guy competition in almost everything on set oh christ of course there was for example when one guy would spit on the floor the others would immediately imitate it and try to spit even farther <laughs> ew <laughs> that set must have been a nightmare i mean that's gross but also very funny my only hope is that it was that juvenile like it wasn't it was like good fun like, it was all good fun, but also a pissing contest at the same time. Because then it makes it kind of adorable. Yeah, like, we heard about them doing stuff like this on the right stuff set. <laughs> They're clearly being friendly and also just doofuses. Yeah. I hope it was like that and not just, like, toxic masculinity crap. Please, God. Just like, I can spit farther than you. Yeah, prove it. <laughs> I can fart louder than you. Yeah, prove it. <laughs> just- uh. Just pure himbo wonderfulness. I can I can appreciate that. While Sweet Home Alabama plays in the background, Garland Green says, Define irony. Bunch of idiots dancing on a plane to a song made famous by a band that died in a plane crash. Several members of Leonard Skinner died on a plane crash on October 20th, 1977. That's his best line. That is his best line <laughs> in the whole film. That's a fucking great joke. The events of the movie take place on July 14th, which is mentioned several times in the letter from Casey to her father. No. July 14th is the date of a famous and historically significant prison break. Uh, what? I am shocked. The French Revolution started on July 14th, 1789, when the people of Paris stormed the fortress known as the Bastille. The Bastille was where people, particularly political prisoners, were imprisoned simply based on arbitrary and or malicious royal edicts that could not be appealed and did not specify the crime or reason for their incarceration and therefore is known as Bastille Day. (laughs) Okay, yes, I'm cool with that. You're going to have a movie about a prison break, July 14th. All right, we're going to pick a day on the calendar. All right, let's do July 14th. But then Um, you need to pit prisoners against prisoners because you need a, a group of prisoners that are on post side. Eh. If you're going to have that Bastille Day reference. It doesn't have to. Well, okay. There is prisoner versus prisoner because you have Poe versus Cyrus. Ah. You have Poe trying to keep as many people alive as possible and like not get in trouble versus Cyrus and the bad prisoners. I guess. But it's like every every other prisoner besides him and Baby O are terrible. Oh, true. And like maybe Garland, but also Garland's the worst. So... Yeah. In an alternate version shown on ABC, an extended scene of Malloy's tirade after learning that fellow DEA agent Sims was killed is featured. Malloy went on to explain how he met Sims early in his career and explained the motivation to shoot the plane down with no questions asked. 
That's just more bullshit of throwing a hat on top of a hat. I know. Like, why would they show that? Like, why is that the scene you would add? Because the filmmakers realized how little context they had given and felt like they needed to do more, but it's already bad. Those are not the extra scenes we want. No. According to a technical advisor on the film, Cyrus the virus would have been killed instantly when the latter hit the small bridge after the fire truck chase sequence at the end. At the very least, he would have been unconscious when his head was smashed. <laughs> I mean, this is important information we need. Yeah. All right. Now we're going to talk about the Oscars. That's right. The Oscars. The freaking Oscars. The Academy Awards. Because this movie was nominated for one. Mm-hmm. For best original song <laughs> for How Do I Live. Oh, yeah. It was nominated for both an Oscar and a Razzie <laughs> for worst original song. It did not win either award. It was nominated up against Journey to the Past from Anastasia, Miss Misery from Goodwill Hunting, and Go the Distance from Hercules. It lost to My Heart Will Go On from Titanic. What a fucking year. That's a great year for songs. Like, let's be real. All of these songs, including this one, and I know it's schmaltzy, but it's a good song. It's a great country song. Like, it is. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't think it's the right tone for this movie. <laughs> I'm just gonna say it. It is very shoehorned in. But up again, okay, I don't love Journey to the Past. I'm not a huge Anastasia fan. I, I just don't love that very much, but... Miss Misery is an amazing song. I've said that many times. Go the Distance is one of the most underrated songs in the Disney canon. It's outstanding. It's a fabulous, like, musical I want. It's just, it's so well done. And the only song it could have lost to. My Heart Will Go On by Celine. That, that was such a big fucking deal. Which you can also listen to us talk all about that in our Titanic episode. It's very true. Yeah. It just seems like with all those great songs up for nominations that year. It seems weird that this one would manage to make the list both for best song and worst song. And you gotta think that some of the reason it was even in there in the first place was so they could aim for that kind of nomination because it really doesn't fit with like either the tones or the themes of the movie otherwise at all. If this movie had more focus on what Cameron's wife was dealing with while he was gone, mm -hmm. or had more of a focus on what his life was like while he was in prison, then a song like How Do I Live Without You, sure, that makes total sense. But that's not what this story is about. You know what movie How Do I Live should have been in? What? Armageddon. <gasps> that would be a better song. Instead of, I don't want this Close Flip them. <laughs> Put Aerosmith in this fucking movie. This would. Think I about miss it. You, baby. And I don't want. That is so true. And I don't David, want mistakes. You fix the annoying songs because they're both really annoying because they both got overplayed. Oh, Ooh, yeah. Death. But how do I live makes so much sense for Armageddon because they're all kind of, you know, rough and tumble working class guys and he's not coming home. Yeah. That's. You fixed the annoying wow. music, David. <laughs> you fixed it. We fixed another thing. We're just, we're fixing so many movies today. Aerosmith's Don't Want to Miss a Thing would work so well for this movie. Also another movie that features Steve Buscemi. It's very true. But yeah, I agree. It, I think it is on its own a great song. Absolutely not the right song for this movie. 
No. No. All right. Well, that's that's the end of everything I have. So I guess it's time to rate this movie. <laughs> so every time we do a film, we create our own special, very specific to the film rating system. And I think it has to be bunnies. Oh. I think it should be the bunnies. Put the bunny back. Put the bunny back. I love his bits. He got so many good bits in this movie. There are a lot of good bits. It's very memeable. Diana, you've seen this, so this will be your movie first. This is my movie, so I have to go first. I'm going to go three bunnies. Mm. We're losing a bunny for the bad writing, and we're losing a bunny for the bad direction. The actors are acting their butts off, even though John Cusack sucks in this film. I still love him. I, I forgive him because he refuses to talk about this film. <laughs> I'm going to let it go. Just because of how many times I've watched uh, American Sweethearts, I can recite that movie almost from memory. Three bunnies. Well, Claudia, how many bunnies are you going to give Con Air? I think I would have to give it maybe two bunnies, maybe pushing two and a half, because there are definitely standout moments to this movie. I really love the action sequence at the end. I really love the outlandish characters that this movie has, and some of the performances are just really great but it seems like something that would work better if you like cut it up into four separate movies on their own like if you <laughs> unpastiched this whole mess from itself and just just all the like outlandish characters in the way that are like more harmful stereotypes of like prisoners and criminals and that sort of thing which just has aged even worse nowadays it's just like not as enjoyable to watch it with all those things in the forefront of the movie nowadays yeah as awful as this movie can be sometimes and as tropey and as hacky this is a movie i would sit down and watch again because it is a very turn your brain off and just let it ride moment yeah i'm gonna go three bunnies as well because like on the one hand i cringed a lot but otherwise i really enjoyed just watching it even though I knew it was kind of hot garbage, I still really enjoyed watching it. It was entertaining garbage. Yeah, it just is. And for its time, there's not another movie quite like this, and there mm. won't ever be again. Not necessarily because it's good, but because it's just so its own thing. Mm -hmm. And so I got to give it up for that and give it three bunnies. Three bunnies. And that is it. Well, Claudia, thank you so much for coming on and talking about this ridiculously cartoonish gem of a movie. Yeah, when I heard y'all were doing this series, I very much jumped on board to this one just because the culture surrounding it and as much as a mess of it as it may be, it's just a movie near and dear to a lot of people still, I think. <laughs> All right, well, if people want more Claudia, where can they find more Claudia? They can find me and pictures of my wonderful kitty cats at... Frogshov mm -hmm. on Twitter. And you can also find me with more podcasting hijinks at the Beacon Pod on Twitter. Woo -woo. So good. So good. Woo. All right. Well, again, thank you so much for being with us and putting up with our crazy antics. <laughs> and until next time. Bye, everybody.
Thanks for listening. Be sure to review and rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. For questions, comments, and recommendations, you can email us at macintoshandmod at gmail.com or find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. How do I live without you? I don't know. I'm stuck living with you in this quarantine. (laughs) I want to know. How do I live without you? I want to know. Ever survive? I want to know. (laughs) That's it. I want to know. I know you're going to leave this in. Of course I am. I'm not even sorry. (laughs) Welcome, everyone.